I've read it over and over and over again, and that's the power of the of the word of God. It's it's surely not the power of the preacher. It's surely not the power of the hearer, uh, whether that's me whenever I'm listening or you. It's the power of the word of God. It it God's words uh, create things. Stuff happens whenever God speaks. And so it's to the extent that we, we hear God's voice, which is rightly divide his word, then God will do stuff. To the extent that we mute that through human trickery or additives or other things, then, then God's voice is, 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 is quieter and quieter and God doesn't do as much stuff. The truth is precious. And so the question that we have before us, before we get into this, this familiar parable this morning, I'm going to show you how it connects to the parable of the sower and, and how it comes afterwards. But the question is, how precious is the truth to you, to you personally? Is it precious enough to you to, to share it with others? Because that's one of the, the real hammer blows of this passage. Is the truth precious enough to you to share it? With other people. It's good news, isn't it? It's not just news. I mean, there's not a whole lot good when you turn the news on. But we have good news. We have news that's worth sharing with other people. Do you, is that truth precious enough to share? And is it precious enough for you to pursue, to listen to carefully? I mean, do you treat it like a treasure? Or do you treat it like something that it's okay if I get it and it's okay if I don't? Those are really the, the those are the, the two questions at the heart of this of this passage this morning. Before we get there, I read a really tragic story. I think that helps illustrate it. Uh, this past week, back in 2011, there was a reclusive, eccentric New York heiress named Huget Clark who passed away, and when she died, she left 307 million dollars in a fortune to her remaining heirs. One of those heirs was Timothy Henry Gray. This is a true story. And he was bequeathed $19 million of that fortune. And the man was actually homeless in rural Wyoming and was absolutely unaware of his fortune. Don't you just love stories like that, you know? You're walking down the street and you find you, you, somebody comes up to you and it's a long lost uncle from wherever and he's got millions of dollars. This is, this actually happened. This guy's homeless. He's living under a bridge in Wyoming. The sad thing is, before they could find him and share the news, he died. His body was discovered by children sledding under Union Pacific Railroad overpass. He died of hypothermia from being outside after the temperatures hit 10 degrees. He was 60 years of age. He was living under the overpass at the time of his death while he was a multimillionaire and he didn't even know it. And what was even more tragic was this reclusive, eccentric heiress who was going to leave this money to him, had all this money while she was alive, and here he was homeless, not getting the benefit of any of it. It's a, it's a tragedy of, of unawareness. The man had a fortune. He didn't even know it. And when he died... The heiress that had all of the wealth, when she died, it went, it went unused while her le- relative was living homeless under the bridge. Well, I think that's a really good 
real-life story that, that helps introduce this parable of the lamp in Mark 4. So if you're not there, open your Bibles to Mark 4, beginning verse 21. Michael's already read it to us. But it deals with a similar possibility. It's about a precious resource that you have as a believer that's available to other people who don't know it. It's a precious resource to, to anyone who will receive it, but they don't know. And it's a precious resource that you've been given that's meant to be, that's meant to be treasured and meant to be shared. Now, probably like the parable of the soils, when you heard Michael read, the, read this passage, you, you go, oh, that, that's familiar. You, you, you sang it as a kid, right? This little light of mine, I won't try to do it. I'm going to let it shine. And we're going to look at it today, and we're going to see exactly what Jesus is teaching the disciples in context here. And what you're going to see is God's going to teach us that those who have received the truth, He's going to tell us what to do with it. Very basic, but very profound. In verse 21, He said to them, that's to the disciples, Is a lamp brought to be put under a bushel, or under a basket, or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor anything that's been kept secret, but that should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, that's the disciples, take heed, be careful what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So Jesus has been teaching the disciples the parable of the soils. It's a parable of parables. You remember why? You've got this massive crowd. He gives the parable of parables to them, then he explains the parable to the the disciples. And he's explaining to them how the kingdom is going to advance, how, how, the, how the, the kingdom's going to grow. And particularly in this story, he basically explains to the disciples why so few people are following him. If he's the Messiah doing all these great things, why does he not have the entire, uh, the entire nation of Israel following him? Why is it just this little, little flock, this little band? And he basically tells them there's nothing wrong with the seed, there's nothing wrong with the sower, that there's two types of soils. There's the soil that produces... And there's the soil that does not. He goes on to explain to them the seeds, the word of God, and that falls on these soils, and some bear fruit, and and when they do, it's 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 a it's a divine harvest, and and some don't. And he also explains to the disciples a turning point in his ministry. It's it's a judgment that's coming, a judgment coming on the unbelieving people around Galilee who had rejected him. He tells the disciples, to you it's been given or granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. I'm going to tell the parable to everyone. I'm going to explain it to you because you're my disciples. But to those, from this point forward, everybody outside, I'm only going to speak in parables. I'm going to obscure the truth. They're going to understand about planting and sowing and harvesting, but they're not going to understand the spiritual truths behind it. But I'm going to explain those to you. And from this point forward, Jesus only speaks in parables to the crowds. He stops preaching plainly. It's it's what he was doing before. He stops preaching plainly to the rejectors in Galilee because they had made their final decision. 
about who Christ was. He says, I won't explain it to them anymore. I'll just give them parables. And that's a judgment to them. And yet you'll get the fuller understanding. That'll be grace to you. And, and last week we talked about how that, that horrible verdict is, is a far cry from the way we sometimes think about parables. Jesus says he didn't give parables as a simple teaching or preaching method so everyone could hear and understand. He actually says it's a judgment. He spoke in parables to those inside and then explained it to them. To those outside the parables were not an evangelistic method, but, but it was a judgment to them. It was a riddle. He did that because Jesus knew their hearts. He knew what kind of soil they were. He knew they'd already made their final decision about who he was. I mean, we read that. I mean, as we walked through Mark, you, you saw Jesus be baptized. He comes on the scene. He comes to Galilee. He's openly preaching the gospel. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. And how are the people responding to the seed? They're rejecting him. To the point, the crowd and the religious leaders had heard the gospel. They saw the healings, the evidences that he was the Messiah. And they rejected him, even concluding when they couldn't explain away what Jesus was doing, even concluding that he was a Beelzebub. He was doing this by the ruler of the demons. They were fixed in their unbelief, and Jesus knows that. So he's no longer going to preach openly to them. You've heard the statement, not cast your pearls before the swine. So for this generation of Jews in Galilee, the divine judgment was no more light. That's what he tells the, the disciples. Only plain stories that made sense from an earthly standpoint but were a spiritual riddle because they don't have ears to hear. They don't get divine revelation. That's what Jesus has been explaining in verses 1 through 20, and that's vital to understand this, this parable. These parables are not just random teaching that Mark just kind of threw together because he didn't have any, any place else to put the parables. They're, they're connected. They're, there's a theme that's, that's being built here. And he explains to the disciples that they were granted to know the mystery of the kingdom. They were the good soil. They would bear fruit some 30, 60, 100 fold. And the soil is why there are so few disciples in this little flock and to the crowd's judgment. So what do you think the disciples are, are thinking at this point? Okay, he answered our question of why there's so few of us. What about going forward? I mean, is this how the kingdom's going to work? I mean, is the way, I mean, are we the only ones that are getting into the kingdom? Is this what we're supposed to do? Is this the new plan that the truth's only going to come to us? Is this the final plan for the, for the kingdom? Is Jesus going to just give the truth to us and obscure the truth to everybody else? Should we do the same with the gospel as his disciples? Should we just go around pronouncing judgment on everyone? I think that might be what they're thinking whenever they want to call fire down out of heaven. Jesus rebukes them. And Jesus, I think, gives the answer to that. Is this the final verdict? Is he only going to give the truth to us and everyone else gets, gets nothing? So he tells them this, this parable. He explains to the disciples and also to us that those who receive the truth, he explains to us what we should do with it. And he gives us, I'm not working here, he gives us 
four instructions on what to do with the truth once we have it. He says we got to share it openly in verse 21. We will share it obediently when the time comes in verse 22. We should share it carefully. That's in verses 23 and 24. And we can share it confidently. That's in verse 25. Let's look at the first one. We must share it openly. Look, if you would, at verse 21 again. He said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a, on a lampstand? He says, for those of you who have received the truth, and you've received the truth, we must share the truth openly. He says it's to his disciples. A lamp is not to be brought under a basket, is it? Or under a bed. I mean, it's a pretty basic statement. It's obvious. The answer is obvious. This is not a hard question. The answer is, of course, it's not to be put under a basket or under a bed. Of course, it's supposed to be put on a, on a lamp stand. And you've probably seen it before, what a, what a lamp looks like. It was either like a little saucer with a wick floating in the middle of it, and that was lit, or, or it, it, it looks like a little squished genie lamp with a, with a really small nozzle on it, and, and there would be a light in, in that. And that would be, that would be set on a, on a stand that would be like in the middle of the living room, just a stand, and the, the light, the, the light would be, the lamp would be set on top of that. Or there would be a shelf that would be uh, around the wall, and you would put it up on the shelf, and that obviously gave light to the, to the room. That's how you'd light the house. You'd, you'd put it on the lamp stand. You put it up there to, to give light. That was its purpose. The, what Jesus says here is literally, does, does the lamp come for the purpose of being placed under a couch? Does it not come for the purpose of being placed on a lampstand? The obvious answer is yes. Nobody would take a lamp and put it under a basket. The basket was what you kept the grain in. Nobody would take the basket that was, a, that was just a few liters, about seven, I, I believe, and you'd dump the grain out and you'd, you'd, you'd put it over top of the lamp. That would be silly. You, you wouldn't do that. And you also wouldn't put it under a bed, whether that's a rolled bed of, of like the, the Jews would have used or a Roman bed that was raised up off of the, off of the floor. It's obviously ridiculous. Light is given to shine. And so if you've been given the light, you need to let the light shine. You, you put it on a lampstand. That's the reason, disciples, you've been given the light. You, you haven't been given it to, to hoard it and be this little click that only you get to know about Jesus. It's a privilege. You've been, it's been given to you, so you are to share it openly. So he's saying to his disciples, no, you're not to obscure the truth for everyone like I'm doing that's not the kingdom plan. You've been given the light, so you, you you let it shine. Or if you want to go back to the to the parable before, you've been given the seed, so sow it. What's the purpose of having seed if you just keep it in a bin? Yeah, you get seed to sow seed. You get light to to give light. So why was Jesus doing that? Why was Jesus obscuring the truth like that? Well, well, he's doing it because he knows hearts and he also knows the timing. Listen, while, while God can see the heart, while Jesus can see the heart of those in Galilee, 
and know the condition of the soil, you can't. So send the light. Some are fixed in their unbelief and they made their final decision about Christ, but you don't know that. Can God not break the hardest heart? Have you seen people converted on their deathbed? There was one hanging on a cross that was converted. You can't see their heart. You don't know where they're at. But God can. And not everyone has made their final decision about, about what they're going to do with the gospel. So, so preach to them. Jesus said, you have the light and the light was given and it's meant to be reflected to others. It's not our job to determine what happens with the gospel once it's delivered. But, but for those who've received the gospel, we are commanded to, to share it openly. You can't control the soil. You can't control what happens whenever the seed lands on someone else's heart. You can't even tell what kind of soil it is. You remember the parable before? Some of the seed falls on the footpath. You might be able to see that because it's hardened. But some seed falls on ground that looks good, but under it there's this rocky bottom and the the little small plant shoots up and then withers in the heat. You can't see what's going on in the heart. And you have nothing to do with the working in the heart once the once the light goes out or the or the seed is is sown, which he's going to tell us in the next parable. The farmer's going to sow the seed and then he's going to go to sleep. And then a harvest is going to come up. We're seed throwers and light shiners. But we must do that work. The seed doesn't get sown on its own. And the light doesn't shine unless it's placed on the stand. You remember what Jesus, this is not the first time Jesus said this. He said it in the Sermon on the Mount. You're probably more familiar with that. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He says, don't hide the light, let it shine. Those who received the truth are to share the truth. That's what he's saying to the disciples. And not only is a lamp given to shine openly, but God's commissioned to everyone who names Christ to to share it. So we must share it openly. We must also share it obediently. So, so why was Jesus obscuring? Because he knows the conditions of the heart. You don't. So shine openly. He also knows timing. He also knows timing. Look at verse 22. He says, For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. This is a further explanation. It starts with four. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is obscured. Except for the purpose to be revealed. Nor has anything been kept secret, but, but that, that it should come to light. Obviously at a later time. Now think about the context here. Jesus just got done saying that he would hide the truth in parables... But he says here, that's not the final purpose for the truth. It's not the final purpose for the truth. He's obscuring the truth to the rejectors in Galilee. But the time will come when what is hidden will be revealed and what is secret will be proclaimed from the housetops. Now think about where the disciples are in, 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 the, in the Messiah coming. Jesus is there. They've received the truth. They're following Jesus. 
But Jesus hasn't died on the cross. He hasn't risen from the dead. There hasn't been a great commission. There hasn't been a Pentecost. This is not the final plan for the kingdom. The final plan for the kingdom is that the light is supposed to shine everywhere. And even though I'm obscuring it right now to these rejectors in Galilee, there's going to come a time when that which is obscured, that which is hidden, that which is secret, is going to be proclaimed from the housetops. And guess what, disciples? You're going to be the ones who are going to proclaim it. He's talking about the day of Pentecost. The truth is given to share, but there's a time it is to be revealed, and that's not, that's not now. You understand the concept that you you hide something temporarily to you know for a for a more appropriate time you you hide presents for your spouse or your children until it's time um, we have hidden fireworks right now in our house just waiting for Jared's birthday. <laughs> And Jared's sitting there going, oh, where are they at? I'm going to go home and tear the house apart. You don't disclose now because there's a, an appropriate timing to, to reveal it. And Jesus is saying the gospel will be proclaimed all over the world. Don't misunderstand that. Light is given to shine. But there's a time to hide, a time to reveal. It's temporarily hidden so it can be permanently revealed. I mean, think about it. Jesus does this. You ever wonder why whenever he heals the guy, he says, don't go tell anybody that I did it. My timing has not yet come. It's temporarily hidden now, so it can be openly proclaimed after the resurrection. And the disciples are going to be the ones that will share it. This is like a pre-Great Commission passage. No, you don't obscure the truth. You've been given the seed and the light to, to, to sow it. He's explaining to them how the kingdom is, is going to grow. Right now they're listeners, but soon they're going to be some, become sowers and light casters. And just a few chapters later, in Mark chapter 6, they're going to be sent out preaching themselves. What, what, what we probably would call like a short-term mission trip. They're going to go out, they're going to proclaim, they're going to, they're going to share the light, they're going to cast the seed, and God's going to confirm that through power, and then they're going to come back. And they're going to spend some more time with Jesus. And he's going to do that again. But it's not until he dies, until he rises, until he ascends, that they get the full commission. After Jesus rises from the dead, they get the great commission. Right now, all they can do is preach about Christ being the Messiah. And then they'll be able to preach the cross and the resurrection. So they'll right now, they're going to observe him preaching in Chapter 6, they're going to go out on short-term mission trips. Matthew 28, at the end, they're going to be commissioned with the Great Commission, and then they're going to be sent out alone in Acts chapter 1, and then the light that was shining dimly is going to be proclaimed from the housetops. And guess what? Which side of the cross and the resurrection and the Great Commission and the ascension and Pentecost are we on? We're on the side that says we must share it obediently. We're not waiting on anything. Nothing else has to happen. The Messiah has already come. He's already died. He's already shed His blood. Everything that needs to be accomplished has already been accomplished. Jesus declared that from the cross. And you have the truth. That's what happened to you in salvation. Divine truth 
was granted to you. And you have it. And it's a precious treasure. How precious is it? Is it precious enough to share? You know what you sing in Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound. I was blind, but, but now I see. Do you remember that you were blind and now that you see? Or do you see other people outside of the kingdom in a condemning kind of way? Or do you see them through the eyes of, that says, I was blind at one point and now I see. And the reason I see is not because I'm smarter than those people. I was once one of those people. And God showed me grace. So we have no reason to hold it back. And since we've received it, we should, we should share it carefully. Since we've received it, we should share it carefully. In the context, he's explaining the kingdom to the disciples. Seed's going to go forth. Light's going to go out. It's going to fall in different kinds of soils. The, the light is going to be a small lamp in Galilee. I'm going to obscure it and judgment. I'm going to give that light to you. And as I've given that light to you, it's hidden temporarily. It's, it's limited temporarily. But there's going to come a point when it's going to be proclaimed from the housetops. You are going to be the ones who will proclaim that. And then in verse 24, he says, because of that privilege, you, you, you should share it carefully. It's a privilege. Look at verse 24. He said to them, take heed. Read the end of verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And you do. Talking to the disciples, you have ears to hear. This is not what he said. He doesn't mean hear what he says to the crowd. He who has ears, let him hear. This is to the disciples. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And obviously, you, you have those ears. And verse 24, Then he said to them, to the disciples, So take heed what you hear. This is really the heart of this, of this passage. It literally says, be understanding of what you hear. Perceive what you hear. Listen carefully to the Word of God is another way of, uh, of saying it. He's saying to them, you as believers have been privileged to receive the Word of God. This is grace. You've been privileged to receive divine truth, so appreciate that. And the way you appreciate that is treat it as a privilege Treat it with great care. You've, given, you, you've been given ears to hear. You're not a natural man. You're a spiritual man. A spiritual man can discern the things of God. Think about what type of privilege that is. And whenever you hear my words, treat it as great privilege. I mean, Jesus has just told the disciples what is hidden from the world. And what these rejectors in Galilee will never understand. But to you, you have been given the privilege to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Do you realize how many people all over this planet this very morning have never heard the name of Jesus, much less have a copy of God's Word? You Think of the privilege that we have Sunday after Sunday, morning, evening, Wednesday, every morning, you have the privilege. Think of the plethora of seed that's sown. You can't turn on the radio without hearing a preacher. Now, not all of it's good preaching, but you can't turn on the radio without hearing the Word of God, even read. Think of the privilege that we have. It's an immense privilege. 
And so you're to take heed. You're to listen carefully. Hearing the Bible is not like anything else you hear. It's the words of the living God. It's bread for our souls. It's water. It's food. And that, that's how precious it's supposed to be to us. And what happened at salvation was you, you everything changed, didn't it? Let me tell you something. Before I came to Christ, this is the last place on earth I'd have ever wanted to be. I can't remember the first time I came to church. I was nervous, but I really didn't have any place else to turn because my marriage was, was in shambles and my life was in shambles and God brought me to an end of myself. And I can remember Theta Lewis inviting me. And there was a, there was a gospel trio. Now, I mean, you understand, like, I'm coming from... Whatever you see in Bailey or Tim Boyer, just modify that redneckishness by about a hundred and make him a drunk. Seriously. I mean, Hank Williams Jr. and Led Zeppelin. I mean, I could sing, sadly, even today, the majority of those, of those tunes. And I come into church, and they've got a gospel trio, three guys probably in their middle 50s or something like that. I don't hear gospel music, much less a trio. And they weren't that good, I'll tell you. I mean, this is rural West Virginia, 150 people. I mean, they're banging on the piano and howling like dogs. But, but it, was, it was different. I mean, these people were had something that I didn't. They had a light in them. They really did. Theda Lewis never beat me over head with the Bible, but there was a light in her that oozed forth from her testimony and her love for Jesus that I didn't have. And it shined into my soul and exposed me. So I didn't want to come too near to her. But you know where I turned whenever I had trouble? Whenever God brought me to the point where I didn't have any place else to turn, I turned to her and to that woman. And I came into church the, the first time. The roof didn't cave in and... People were nice. I came back. I didn't read the Bible. But you know what happened the minute that I came to Christ? The minute that God gave me a new heart? I couldn't get enough of the Bible. Couldn't get enough of reading it. I didn't care who sung. I didn't care how they sounded. I didn't care what genre. I didn't care about anything. If they're singing about Jesus, I want to hear it. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, they're singing about the one who died for me. I want to hear and I'll sing right along. I'll yodel and, and, and howl right with them. You know what happened to you when you got saved? The Bible comes alive. You understand it. You want to read it. It's amazing. And you just want more of it. You want to know God. And then as you want to know God, you, you begin to know yourself. And when you know yourself, you realize how great of grace God has shown you. Because He becomes clearer your own wicked heart also becomes clearer. Listen, having the Bible, being able to read the Bible, study the Bible, sit under preaching is not a punishment. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that God has spread a table for us. And yet, sadly, many times we feel like it's a burden. Or we don't have time to do it. Listen, um, this past week, massive work 
overbooked normally, graduation, reception, hospital, so on and so forth. And yesterday, when I'm preparing this message, my, I'm tired, my, my weary flesh didn't want to put in the time of fixing the top of my trousers to the, to the top of my study seat. And I kept reminding myself, it's a privilege to study the Word of God. It's a privilege to study the Word of God. It's a privilege to preach the Word of God to the people of God. It's work for sure, but it's not a horrible chore. I get to spend all those times in the, all that time in the Bible and then share it with you. But it's not only a privilege, it's, it's for produce. Look at verse 24. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. It's a privilege. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be, will be given. It's not only the word wasn't given to you just as a privilege. It was, but it's also to produce something. And he's still using this planning terms. He tells them why they should be careful to listen and to work. It's because God's going to bless listening and labor. The amount of effort that you put into being careful to, to listen to the Word of God and the amount of effort that you put into sharing the Word of God, God will give you more. The standard of measure is another way of saying you'll reap what you sow. And some of you, like me at times, get dry and you wonder why I'm dry. And there could be a number of reasons, but the first place that you have to look is the amount of effort that you're putting out. I mean, you can't expect to have a full heart if you're not feeding on anything or you're feeding on the wrong thing. Galatians 6, whatever a man sows, he reaps. Sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. To you who, who treat the Word as a privilege and precious, more will be given to you. More will be given. There's no end to the Bible. You don't get to the point where you've, you've maxed out. I've got it all. And you know what God says? When you get to that point where you've understood some basic truths, God will give you more basic truths. And when you understand that, He'll give you intermediate truths. And when you understand that, He'll give you advanced truths. And each are blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And yes, God will cast the seed and it'll, it'll fall on the heart, but you have a part in that. This is a basic principle about serving Christ. The promise is the Lord will bless the seed you sow and the labor you put forth, whether it's taking it into your own heart or, or, or casting it out. The labor you put forth to carefully hear a sermon, read the Bible, pursue the truth, apply it in life, he's saying there will be a harvest. The Lord will return to you blessing. The labor you put forth in, in sharing the gospel will bear fruit, so don't give up on that person that you're witnessing to. I haven't given up on the woodman. He didn't come on Easter, but I'm inviting him to the men's retreat. And if he doesn't show up at the men's retreat, I'm going to invite him to the next thing. If he doesn't show up to that, I'm going to invite him to the next thing. And I'm going to keep praying for him until he dies. Because I don't know what the condition of his heart is. So I'm to cast the light and sow the seed. And if he dies, it will be his fault. But it won't be because I didn't put forth diligent labor. Amen? Amen. And Jesus is not saying it doesn't mean all the seed that you sow is going to bring forth salvation. Even though I'd like for it to. It does mean 
that as you're faithful to sow seed, God will be faithful to give you in return. And God blesses faithfulness. But look at what it says here at the end. Because I'm encouraged by that, but I'm also discouraged. Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to the, to the extent that I put forth labor, God's going to give me in return equated to that labor. And I'm going, okay, that's encouragement. I'm going to reap what I sow. But I'm not always a good sower, are you? I'm not always faithful. I'm not always diligent. I don't always read my Bible like I'm supposed to. I don't always share Jesus like I'm supposed to. So, in one sense, that's great. In another sense, I'm like, I think I need a little bit more than my effort at labor in this equation. I need grace. And look at what he says. And to who, and you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has to him, more will be given. He doesn't just return to you your labor. He returns to you even more than that. Aren't you glad about that as parents? Oh, I, I, I can be a good parent. I can be a bad parent. I'm really glad that the, the, the eternal destiny of my children is not based on how good of a parent I am or how good of not. Because if that's the case, they're all cursed. I'm to be diligent. I'm to be faithful. God will return some of that seed. But God will do even more than that. And how did you hear? You heard because God was gracious to you. And those of you who have spiritual ears, more will be given. So he says, share it confidently. Here's the last point. We can share it confidently. Confidently because more will be given to you besides what you already have. More will be given even beyond your labor. Isn't that the point of the parable of the sower? Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. It's not just normal results when the seed falls on good ground. It's not just what that seed produces naturally. It's what that seed produces spiritually. And the Holy Spirit of God has the power and ability to do above and beyond. You think Peter was really that great of a preacher on Pentecost? I mean, he's a knothead. He denies Christ just a few days before he stands up at Pentecost. And thousands were saved. That day. You think that's because Peter is such a good preacher? No, it's not because he's such a good preacher. It's because the power of God and the Holy Spirit. But Peter was obedient to stand up. He ends with a promise and a reminder to the disciples and also a warning. A warning to those who are outside and to remind them about those who are outside. The disciples are the ones who have received the truth and even more will be given to them. Verse 25, for whoever has, to him more will be given. I mean, has God already not given us enough? He's already given us the escape from hell and heaven and His Word and His Holy Spirit, but more will be given. You can't outgive God. More of what? More divine blessing. MacArthur said... If you're one of those who has, that is, you have eternal life, you have the truth, you have the seed, you'll receive not only it in measure of what you've done, but far more. This is Luke 6.38, where Jesus says, Give and that shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will come from men in this life and from God in spiritual blessing in the future, an eternal blessing. 
And as you give out the truth, more you'll be given more understanding, more truth, more grace, more power, more joy, more satisfaction, more fulfillment, more abundant life, more eternal reward. What did Jesus say? I have come that they might have life and that they might have what? Have it more abundantly. So you can share confidently. There's another side of the coin here, isn't there? Look at the end of verse 25. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. It's a contrast. Whoever does not have even what he has, even the little he has, will be taken away from him. More will be given, and to this group, all will be taken away. These are the people who have the the blessing of being around the truth, but they don't receive it. Whoever doesn't have even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. This is the way Luke puts that in the parallel passage. These are the Jews that thought they were in the kingdom because they were Jews. And they had the law and the prophets and the blessings that came from being part of the kingdom, even what they had because they were unconverted. Even that will be taken away from them. This is Judas, who heard Christ's words, walked with him for three years and saw the miracles, but then betrayed him. This is the husband or the wife that is married to a believer. And some of the blessings of of pursuing Christ splashes over, as one commentator put it, on the spouse. This is the child who rejects Jesus but is in a Christian family that gets the blessings and the benefits of being under that umbrella and yet rejects in the end if they continue to reject even what they've had, even in this life, even the blessings that come from from being around the truth will be taken away from them. This is the church member who sits Sunday after Sunday after the Word of God but never takes it in. In the end, even the small gains in understanding the blessings of being around God's Word but never fully embracing it, even in the end, those will be taken away because they're going to be outside the kingdom. It's terrifying. More will be given. You've been given ears to hear. More divine blessing, more divine truth. But even those who who have a little bit, even that will be taken away. Those who scorn the light will have no light at all, even have that light removed in, in eternity. But Jesus is speaking to the disciples here. He's reminding them people's conditions like that. So what do we do? Throw the seed. Send the light. The whole reason it's been given to you is to share it. Do that because of the privilege. Pursue God in His Word because of the privilege. And do it because you'll receive blessing based on your faithfulness and also way more than you ever deserve. So how precious is the truth? So precious that you're sharing it. So precious that you're pursuing it. 